There were trees still burning. There, the whole ground was blackened but smoldering. And I drove in there and said, this reminds me of after a B-52 strike in Vietnam, what the terrain looked like. I think the process for us was just trying to figure out how as a community we were going to start to rebuild everything that had been destroyed. This, that's not enough superlatives that I can use to say thank you to the great job they did. I got to keep my house because of them. In June of 2011, the Monument Fire burned more than 30,000 acres of land in the Huachuca Mountains. The Herald Review spoke to first responders, nonprofits, homeowners, and journalists, all who shared their experiences of the blaze and reflections on the event 10 years later. These are their stories. In part three of our series, we'll dive into the aftermath of the fire and the thoughts of our guests as they reflect on the event 10 years later. This was a major, significant emotional event. That is the voice of John Black, the commander of the Cochise County Sheriff's Assist Team. We worked 24-7 for those two weeks. And what that means, we didn't all work 24-7. Uh, we had somebody on duty every, every hour of that two weeks, uh, supporting the Sheriff's Office, law enforcement, and the firefighters. There also reminds me of a, a saying that I got when I was in the Army. When we were needed, we were there, and we definitely were. Uh, and our guys worked uh, over 500 hours, which equates to over 10% of our annual volunteer hours for that year. Black discussed the logistics of evacuations and how residents were informed. We hoped it would all be well organized and yeah. orchestrated, but it really wasn't. We did our best to make it that way, but with the fire changing, first of all, what you, we tried to do is, is do a pre-evacuation notification. And the sheriff's office gave us a notification, a full page of things to do for people to, yeah. for people to do. We'd go in there and we'd hand those out and then we'd make a notation of you know who was living at that address and the fact they had received a pre-evacuation notification. And, uh, and then if they had to be evacuated, uh, then we ran back, went back in, told them, it's time to go, and you, and you need to go. We very rarely took anybody with us, uh, but we, were, we could if we needed to. If they didn't get a pre-evacuation notification, then there were a couple things we told them to do. Get your key medicines and your pets. That's it. And you're, you're going to have to go. You're more important than anything else that's left here. Okay, so you got to get out. We go door to door, knock on the door, bang on the door, get somebody's attention. They come to the door, we tell them what's going on, and these are your options. That is the voice of Steve Ziegler, who is the deputy commander of the Cochise County Sheriff's Assist Team. Cochise County Incident Commander and former Service to Fire Chief Randy Redmond also highlighted the roles of the Cochise County Sheriff's Office and the Service to Police Department in evacuating residents. You know, we aggressively evacuated. The police department was pulling up maps. We were doing reverse 911 call-ups to everybody, and sheriff and cops were going in and checking house to house. And in the incident command center, we would block out what we wanted uh, 
either notified and or evacuated. And the police department took that and handled that for us. So they would evacuate this block, notify this block as we as the fire moved, and we did that every morning. And then after lunch every day, we reevaluated if we needed to do some more. We moved it some more. So PD took that off our plate from the standpoint of operations to handle getting everybody out of there. And obviously, it worked. You know, we had no fatalities, so that that was a success. But losing seventy-one buildings is not a success. Ziegler shares his close encounter with the fire when it burned through Ash Canyon. I was at Ash Canyon when it did come down, and it literally knocked me off my feet. I had to crawl to my cruiser to get in it and get the heck out of there. It, it, it did. It just knocked me right off my feet. That's how strong the wind, rocks, twigs, limbs. It was just it was amazing. It really was. In addition to evacuations, patrolling, residents, properties and traffic control, the Cochise County Sheriff's Assist Team was also tasked with tracking the fire as it grew. That first day, I was at uh, Monument Road, and an ember started that field on fire, and I radioed it in, and myself and Luke Hutner took off towards Palominas, and we were doing 65 to 70 down that road, and the fire was still ahead of us. It, it kept getting ahead of us, and we got all the way down to, I think, Palomino's Road, and we threw a roadblock up there, but that's how fast that thing was going. It moved down, like I say, 65, 70, and it was still getting ahead of us. As the threat of the fire subsided, residents were slowly permitted to return back to their homes. Then when we got the all clear where we could go home, then, of course, we went home, and uh, it was just a, a devastating view. I mean, everything was just gray ash. That is the voice of Angela Darty, a Hereford resident who was evacuated twice during the Monument Fire. My house was full of it, but I was thankful that I had a house to come home to, and I didn't mind cleaning it at all. Scott and Joan V.C., also Hereford residents who were evacuated during the fire, shared their first impressions of seeing their property for the first time since evacuating. It, it was a strange way it burned. It, it, it almost was strategic in how it came down. And so when I got, um, when I got back, I was able to go in. I came in through the back way, and I drove up my driveway. Now, I have four acres out here in Hereford, and the entire four acres was burned. And as I was driving up the driveway, I could see that our house was still there, but it looked kind of like a solid uh, Salvador Dali painting because we have vinyl siding, and vinyl siding does not burn, it melts. So the house was just dripping with plastic, you know, plastic had dripped everywhere. And I looked over to the right, and I saw I had a shop, uh, and that was burned to the ground. And uh, I just pulled up, and I'm going to be honest with you, I pulled up and just sat there in my truck and weeped. So I got out of my car and I walked up to the house. I walked in and miraculously, uh, there was no smoke damage to the inside of the house. The house was intact. And that was because we had done the defensible perimeter, gotten rid of all of that dried pine needles and everything else that was close to the house. And our water tank on the left shed actually exploded, blowing the door off of the shed by about 35 feet away. There's only a half inch crack in the tank. That shows you how much pressure a tank can have when it's boiled. One of the things I remember that kind of broke my heart was coming back to see our house for the first time. We drove by a family, and they were rummaging through the rubble of their home. Theirs burned to the ground. 
That is the voice of Joan Vasey recalling the trip back home for the first time since evacuating. And they had like two or three little kids, and the kids were crying, the mother was crying, and they were, they had, there was not, literally nothing left of their place except for a few stones in the foundation. And those are the people that my heart really went out to because, you know, they were, they were literally coming home to nothing. With the fire burning a total of 30,526 acres by June 24, 2011, tensions still remained between Redmond and former Northern Rockies Incident Commander Greg Ponson. You know, on top of the 16-hour days and the stress involved with not being able to do the job you've been trying to do for 30 years, um, the heroes are the Cochise County Group. Um, for seven or eight days in a row, these volunteers came here and worked for nothing. You know, they're painters or they're mechanics or wherever they work. They don't get paid to come help, and they're here every day. And that's what shut down that fire every day. Um, on Father's Day, uh, I left the incident command. Um, I actually had a cardiac event on the eighth day, had to leave command post. Um, it did get across the road and got by our team, but we caught it. But that's the real ugly summary of what happened. And I, and I can't tell you that it would have been any different if another incident command team would have been there, but I know that the pressures politically were very difficult because I had the state, which I sat on, there's a fire chief's executive board tied in heavily with the chiefs around there. And they're, they're calling me and telling me, hey man, you need to work with the team, you need to work with the team. I keep telling them, it's not us not working with the team, it's them not working with us. They, they won't allow us to, to do anything and they're not doing anything. We offered to bring the fire departments into unified command, but I'm not, there was some reluctance to do that. That is the voice of Greg Ponson, who was the incident commander of the Northern Rockies Incident Management Team during the Monument Fire. And I think maybe because they wanted to have the freedom to um, make the decisions that um, they felt needed to be made without, um, you know, having to uh, either bring us along. I'm not exactly sure what what it was, but... um, we, we did the best we could to make sure that we were integrating to the uh, full extent possible. And finally, the state sent some representatives down and they said, oh my God, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And then the team is required by law to have a, a citizen's post-incident analysis in the community. They had it in Tucson, didn't tell anybody in Sierra Vista. So Chief Miller and I made some... Uh, some phone calls and some trips to Albuquerque, and we spoke with the director and uh, Mr. Ponson, which relieved the duty of incident command for what happened. With the monument fire reported as 75% contained by June 25th, 2011, concern quickly grew around flooding. The big concern after the fire was what was going to happen when it rained. That is the voice of Fry Fire Chief Mark Savage who was a battalion chief during the Monument Fire. Then the monsoons hit, and the concern with the monsoons was because the, the grass and the natural foliage had been destroyed, um, it doesn't take a whole lot of rain to start washing stuff out. Um, and we probably wrestled with those concerns for the next year or two. Um, I know they did a lot of work on the drainage crossing 92 just south of uh, Miller Canyon, and then really reinforced those ditches as well. 
they didn't call the fire completely out until around the 19th of July. Um, that's it was contained. Um, usually they're properly conservative uh, with those estimates. Despite the stress and turmoil inflicted on the community by the monument fire, our guests highlight the support that the community showed in times of need. I think the biggest thing to commend were all the people, all of them. I mean, every walk of life that came to help. That is the voice of Steve Boyce, who is the co-founder of the Horse and Around Rescue Ranch and Foundation. We had feed that was donated from California, donated us a 20-foot trailer of feed. I mean, there was bag feed in there, there was hay in there, there was all kinds of stuff in there. They just loaded up, brought the truck up, and the guy left a message that says, call me when it's empty, and I'll come get it. I mean, in the community, people around Elfrida, stuff like that, they brought bales of, of oat hay, and it's just, it was all community that really worked. Logistically, when you're doing these type of things, you're trying to figure out how do you feed these people? How do you, you got a bunch of firefighters, and then, you know, Stan Greer's opens up their facility out there, and they start collecting chapstick and socks and everything for the responders and for the firefighters, so they've got a full, they got a Walmart going out there. So they're handling that at the Incident Command Center, which is service to police departments. Incident Command is where I was at all the time. That moved as we had to get away from the fire and resequence. But everybody knew where we were at because all day long, citizens were dropping water, Gatorade, pizza. I mean, I could have weighed 300 pounds in a weekend easily. We had a legit. We had to have a person assigned to moving stuff away from the Incident Command Post into logistics. It was coming so fast because the community was responding so aggressively. I say this all the time about Sierra Vista and the community of Sierra Vista. When people are in need, uh, this community helps. That is the voice of Sierra Vista Fire Chief Brian Jones, who was a captain with the department during the Monument Fire. And I think our community really did come together during that time and help those who really needed it the most. Looking back on the fire 10 years later, our guests share their comparison of the Monument Fire to other wildfires they have experienced. In my career, I had never been involved in a multiple building loss. <laughs> you know, you get a house fire, you may lose the house, but you don't lose the neighbor's house, you don't lose the house down the street. Um, for what we saw, it was just horrendous. But it was by far the largest. My gosh, it was nothing even comparable to it. If there was a significant point that came out of it was... Thank God for the preparation that we had in our county to be friends with our neighbors. It is the most devastating fire uh, I have ever seen, that is for sure. That is the voice of Adam Curtis, who is the public information officer for the city of Sierra Vista. During the Monument Fire, Curtis was a reporter with the Herald Review. Obviously, since then, in other areas and other parts of the world, we've seen some super devastating fires. Um, but I interviewed career fire officials um, that you know traveled around the country dealing with this kind of stuff, and they said this was a once-in-a-career fire. Um, so the kind of fire behavior that this was exhibiting was the most severe behavior you could imagine. It developed its own weather systems. The wind that time of year is really bad in the afternoons. Uh, there was a ton of dry fuel, um, so it was just ready the conditions were just ripe for the worst kind of fire you could imagine. Um, so every day when the high winds came in the afternoon, um, you knew there was it was going to look like a bomb went off on the mountain. Uh, and it looked like a, a small mushroom cloud, honestly, every afternoon. 
Um, but since then, we've seen kind of a proliferation of really devastating wildfires, and we're kind of living in an environment where this kind of thing can happen again. Um, and that drives home the sense of urgency. When we talk about wildfire safety, it really matters um, because this can happen again. It can happen again almost anywhere in this part of the country. Um, and you know it's going to happen somewhere. It does every year. Um, so you never want to be the person that does something stupid and sparks the next really devastating fire. Um, and to this day, every time I see smoke on the mountains, I think about the Monument Fire. And I know other people do. So as the city public information officer, like you try to get news out there just that, that basically like says, oh, this is a controlled burn or this is what's going on. Um, because there's still that lingering thing in the back of your mind that, you know, this, this could happen again. Thank you all for listening to this special edition of The Daily Chirp. To listen to more content, go to www.myheraldreview.com forward slash podcasts or check out The Daily Chirp on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. This podcast is sponsored by Lolly Automotive Group, Apex Network Physical Therapy, Sulphur Springs Valley Electric Cooperative, Benson Hospital, and Prestige Senior Living. I'm Summer Hom, and for the team here at the Herald Review, we wish you all a pleasant and informed day. See you soon! Mm-hmm.